Well, it is a privilege to be here today. Thank you. And um, I wish Bruce and Ann would, would be here. Uh, one of the best friends I've ever had. Still enjoy being around him. We're in a Bible study every Friday morning. And uh, I think we freaked the waitresses out. And um, man, he is a hoot. One of the best friends a guy could have. Enjoy him. Well, we're going to look at uh, something here today, and, and I'm going to entitle the sermon. Sometimes I like to entitle a message. Usually we are going through a book or something, and uh, verse by verse. But today I'm going to do a, a topical subject, and I'm going to call this message Hide and Seek. It is the oldest game in the world. Uh, one of our favorite games as a child, and I still enjoy playing hide and seek with my grandchildren. And uh, it's been around since Adam and Eve were hiding. And it is the oldest game on the planet. And uh, as we got older, uh, we got more sophisticated as teenagers, and we called it ditch. You ever heard of ditch? And then Bruce and I, because we couldn't get girlfriends, uh, we uh, had a new one we invented called sardines. And um, I'm not going to explain that one. I'll let him explain it. But we just enjoyed it. And the fun part of hide-and-seek is the hiding. There's no getting around that. The hiding, the hiding. And if you go back in that first time that the game uh, ever started with Adam and Eve, here you see Adam hiding and Eve hiding in the garden away from God. Sounds ridiculous. And then you hear the question, where are you, Adam? This is God asking, where are you at, Adam? He knew where he was at. Well, I think he was asking the question because God knew where Adam was at. He asked him because Adam needed to know where he was at. Adam needed to know. And I think there's a universal truth. When we begin to have a problem in life, a lot of times when we begin to have a problem, we run and we hide. Adam had a problem. And sometimes that truth doesn't hit home until we really get a long way from the presence and the fellowship of the Savior. If you can't solve a problem in your life, you'll never solve that problem until you realize you have a problem. And Adam never knew he had a problem, even though he was hiding, until God asked the question, Adam, where are you at? And then they started doing the blame game. The Bible says in Jeremiah 23, 24, can anyone hide in the secret places and I can't see them? And as we think about the game of hide and seek, if you don't know where you're at, you're never going to know where you need to be. If you don't know where you're at right now, you'll never know where you need to be. And as you take the word of God into your life, and the Bible says in Ephesians that we feed the inner man day by day, and he reveals the secrets of our heart, that we might know where we're at. That's what the word of God can do. And here's Adam running and running and hiding, and the Bible doesn't say how long that took place, but finally one day, he was found out, and he was sought, and everything changed at that point. In this chapter that was read by Robin, it was I just wanted to stop at the verses here because the whole chapter, it's a lost and found chapter. 
you got the lost sheep, the lost silver, the lost son. And I think I counted eight times. It's about man's lostness here. But in reality, he's just hiding. So notice, first of all, in verses 1 and 2, who is Jesus talking to here? Well, he's talking to the scribes. He's talking to the Pharisees. He's talking to the publicans. He's talking to the sinners. He's talking to you and I. Everybody in this passage, the good, the bad, the ugly, it's all of humanity in this passage. And he's talking in a hide and seek language. We all want to hide. And maybe, well, I don't know where any of us, any of you are at in your life right now, but if there's an area of your life that you're hiding, it may be from fear. It may be from doubt. It may be from ignorance. It may be from stress. It could be from pain. But we have a tendency in us to run and hide. The minute the problem shows up, off we go. And it happens so often. And I had to think, you take sin, you take running, and you take hiding, they all go together. When you sin, you run. When you're hiding, you probably send. When you are running and hiding, it all works together. And I had to think about the hiding part. Folks, the hiding part is the fun part. I love to hide. I love it when, and the grandkids are getting older now, but when I walked into this church, I started scoping it out. This would be a great church, a place to hide if you're a child. You turn the lights out low here, you got downstairs, upstairs, rooms in the back. It would really be fun as a child to play hide and seek here. But hiding is the fun part. Why is that? The fun part about hiding is you are in control. You are the one that is rejecting the seeker. You are the one that gets to decide where you hide. You are the one, as you run and hide, it's always, it seems like it's towards a dark place. The Bible says that men love darkness rather than light. So the hiding is the fun part. We get to reject the seeker. And sometimes men spend many, many years, and women, many, many years in the hiding part of that. And yet, think with me, the hiding is really forfeiting God's best for your life. The minute I take off, and the minute I run and hide, and it doesn't matter what the problem is I'm going through, the minute I run and hide, I am forfeiting what God wants for me the best for me. Let's use myself as an example. Let's say I do something and, and I get mad and I pull up behind somebody in a car <clears throat> and I, I just get ticked off because they're sitting there and I'm going to miss the light. And I have these, start having these bad thoughts. And before you know it, I honk my horn and I shake my fist and I don't feel good. In that little moment, I'm starting to run and I'm starting to hide. 
And in that same moment that I'm running and I'm starting to hide, I have forfeited the unspeakable joy that he talks about in Peter. I have forfeited a peace that passes all understanding that he talks about in Philippians 4, 7. I have forfeited and diminished something that God may be wanting me to do. Whatever it is, I have forfeited that moment because of my running and my hiding. And every time we run and hide, it can be a matter of moments, minutes, weeks, or a year, or two years, we forfeit what God wants to do in our life. David sinned with Bathsheba. He ran and hid for two years from the presence of the Lord. And look what he forfeited. No joy, no peace. He says in Psalm 32, My bones are waxing old. There's a roaring all night long in my conscience. My moisture is turning to the drought of summer. He was not a happy camper. That's what happens when we're running and hiding. And in a sense, we actually are forfeiting our true identity. Still born again, but your fellowship with him is broken when you're hiding. And your identity of him, you don't look like a new creature anymore. You cheat on your taxes? <clears throat> look at your face in the mirror in two weeks. And we forfeit in this sense. We're running from the presence of the Lord where he wants us to be at his feet. Adam and Eve ran from the presence of the Lord in the garden. Cain ran from the presence of the Lord. Elijah ran from the presence of the Lord. Annas and Ananias and Sapphira, they were running from the presence of the Lord. Jonah ran from the presence of the Lord. And you can go down through scripture of people that run and they run and they run. And they're not in the presence of the Lord and they forfeit all of those things. Our identity is forged when we're in his presence. And that's where our joy factor in our daily walk comes from. At the feet of Jesus. Not from hiding. Not from running. David said in Psalm 16, 11, You fill me with the joy, Father, of your presence. Oh, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him daily in his temple. Jesus says, I have come to seek and to save those which are lost, those which are running, those which are hiding from me. And he's really good at what he does. Notice verse 4, something else in the story. <clears throat> I love this part. It says here that he's going to go after that which is lost until he finds it. We're the hiders. We're the ones that love to hide. God here in the text, he's the, the seeker. And folks, that's the tough part. The seeker is vulnerable. The seeker, it is humiliating. People are running away from you. They laugh at your inability to find them. And even in the game of hide and seek, you've all been there. 
And you're out there trying to find somebody and you can hear them out in the dark snickering and, and laughing because you can't find them. The seeker has the hard part. And I had to think about sports. Every sport that I know of has a position. If you uh, know baseball, you know there's a pitcher and a catcher and the bases and the outfielders. They all have a position. Football, same way. you got the quarterback, running back, tight ends. There's a position. Same way with soccer. Same way with hockey. They all have a position, and people are proud to play that position. Not so in the game of hide-and-seek. The seeker is an it. Jesus is the it. Have you ever begun to play the game and, and you get everybody around and let's play hide and seek, okay? You're it. And there's something about when that finger is pointed at you, you're trapped. You're the it now. Everybody else gets to run and hide and everybody else to, gets to run away from you and here you are stuck. And you're the it. What a dreaded call comes. And man, we are the ones that, that needed rescuing. We are the ones needed saving. And Jesus was the seeker. 55,000 people in America last year were sought to be rescued by the Coast Guard. 55,000 people. 5,000 of those people, their lives were saved because the seekers of the Coast Guard went out to find those people. And I was looking the other day, you know what the motto of the Coast Guard is? We do so others may live. Wow. Jesus is the seeker. He came to seek and to save those which were lost. Look at verse 5, and notice when he, when he, the seeker, finds the sheep, notice he lays it on his shoulders and he is rejoicing. This is the glorious part about the game of hide and seek. There is one fun part for the seeker. Go back to the game of hide and seek. You can't find anybody. It's been an hour now. It's getting darker and darker outside and you're the it and all of a sudden, Dad says, Gordon, we're ready to go home now. You know what? That changes everything in the game of hide and seek. You know what happens to the seeker? Do you realize the power of the seeker at that point? Because this is what you get to do. You get to go out in the middle of nowhere, wherever you're hiding and they're seeking, and you get to yell these words. Ollie, Ollie, all come free. When I was a little boy, we'd yell, Ollie, Ollie, oxen free. And the minute you yelled that out, everybody can come out from hiding, and there's no penalty. There's no pain. Everybody comes out of the bushes from behind the couch the minute those words are said. And that is the call of grace. And when our Savior hung on the cross, and he bowed his head and he says, it is finished. That was ollie ollie, oxen free. And that's the beauty of the seeker. 
When the Father cries and gives the Son the ability to go find, he comes and there's no more penalty. It's the cry of divine grace. Wow. No more hiding. Man does not have to hide anymore. And the same Savior on the cross, he put four must in the word. The seeker put four must in the word of God. And he says when one place, I think it's John 3 and 14, the Son of Man must be lifted up. There will never be grace until the Son of Man is lifted up. Because a threefold act of redemption starts right there. The death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus. Ye, the Son of Man must be lifted up. The second one he gives us, ye must be born again. In other words, when the cry comes, come out from hiding. There's not going to be any penalty. You come and make a beeline for Calvary, it is all over here now. And it's free. I did it. I, the seeker, am going to give you a new life. Then it says in Hebrews 11 and 6, ye must have faith in God. And as you realize that, and you come out from the hiding, and you're at his feet, and you realize that if any man be in Christ now, he's a new creature, old things are passed away, you get the fourth must, and it's a gift. He says you must worship him now in truth, in spirit and truth. That's the beauty of the seeker. All we like sheep have gone astray, and we needed to be found. Now, I got to ask a question. Can we really run and hide? We, we try it. But can we really, as human beings, can we really run and hide? No. No. Psalm 139, I read, <clears throat> verse 7. Where can I go from your spirit? <clears throat> Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, or if I settle on the far side of the seas, even there your hand will guide me. And if I say, surely the darkness will hide me, even the darkness will not be dark to you, for darkness is as light to you. Amos chapter 9, verse 2. Though they dig to the depths below, though they climb to the heavens above, even there... I will bring them up and I will bring them down. We cannot hide from him. And yet we still try it. I remember as a little boy, my favorite uh, <clears throat> cookie was a chocolate-covered vanilla wafer. You ever remember those? Little long things? Oh, they're just about as good as a Mr. T's donut. But I remember as a child, uh, my mom hid those things way up on the top, top shelf in the kitchen. And one day when she was gone for a little bit, I devised this plan. I knew where they were at, but I was too small, I couldn't reach them. So I pulled out the bottom drawer as a step, and then I pulled out the next drawer, then I pulled out the next drawer, and that made it up to the counter. And once I got up to the counter, I did something very strange. I don't know why I did it. 
I knew I was getting close because now I'm on the counter and all I got to do is reach up, tramp on this bread thing she had there. One more step and I'm up there to the chocolate-covered vanilla wafers. I close my eyes real tight. How dumb is that? I closed my eyes because I thought, I can't see anything, so nobody else can see me. And so I'm reaching, and I get the wafers, and even though everything's invisible, and I got the wafers, and I got them down to the counter, all of a sudden, there was one thing that was not invisible, and that was the yardstick. Ouch. And my mother, she took care of it. And there's times in our life that we try, to, we try to cover our sins and we think that God doesn't see and we're doing this. He sees everything, folks. He sees everything. So um, who is hiding from God? Let's ratchet this down to us today. I don't know your hearts and I'm glad I don't. You don't know mine, I'm glad you don't. Because in me dwelleth no good thing. Apart from him, I'm, I'm a spiritual spastic. But let's just think about dads and moms. I don't even want to look into your faces because you'll think, oh, you're, thinking, you're talking about me. No, I'm not. I don't know your life. But what dad or mom is hiding here today? And dads, fathers, if you got your priorities screwed up and mixed up, and you're not spending any time with your children or your wife, then you're hiding. No time for God, no time for family, no time for church, hiding behind false dreams, having a desire of other things other than serving him, you're running. Same thing with mothers. Mothers, you're running. Maybe you got bitterness because you're angry at life because you got a loser of a husband. Well, you married him. That's the way it is. Or maybe you think I could have a, a career instead of a crybaby all the time. It doesn't matter. We all have problems. We all have things we don't like. But don't run from where God has you at the moment. Because sometimes he allows us to go through a legitimate darkness to keep us closer to him than we've ever been before. And I have found in my life, if I just stay in his presence and don't cry so much about the problem, and I'm going through a dark, dark time, I have learned more in one hour of darkness than I have in 20 years of happiness. Because I'm closer to him. Unashamed dependence upon him. And I quit running. Running from God is like fleeing from light. You just end up in more darkness. That's all we do. And all we do is we start to exchange life for death, joy for denial, order for chaos, home for wandering, freedom for enslavement, and you go on and on and on. The joy of hide and seek here, the joy of no more hiding, is freedom in Christ. And we get to wake up every day. When we're quick and honest in our confession, he is quick and honest to forgive us 
and to keep that fellowship sweet. We're not talking about a relationship. That's a done deal. We're talking about our daily fellowship. So often we don't have the joy and peace because we're running all the time. And he's saying here, ollie, ollie, oxen free. You don't have to run. I found you. Just come out, come home. You ever found out that running and hiding wears you out? Yep. It really does. And I have found out that the longest distance for me is from my head to my heart. 12 inches. It's my choice. Don't blame others. It's me. The problems and the running I had, I can't blame my wife. I can't blame the church. I can't blame my friends. It's me. I make the choice. And every day, the minute I wake up and I have a conscious awareness, I turn to him or I make a choice apart from him. I got another question. What's the odds of a lost sheep ever making it back to the flock on its own? Zero. Zero. I used to farm and for years, and I had an uncle that was a big sheep farmer up in Sacramento, and in the summers we would go up there and spend a week. So I know a little bit about sheep. And by the way, the Bible says we are like sheep. And I don't want to offend anybody here today, but we are sheep, all of us. Even the pastors, we are sheep. That means we are clueless. We are directless. We don't know our directions. We are dumb. We are defenseless. We're pathetic. Oh, no. No. But we're made that way, and I think the metaphor works for all of us because sheep, we would, as a joke, we would take Uncle Johnny's sheep and we would take one of them away from the flock and go hide them behind a bush. And if they don't see, and if they can't hear the shepherd, they just start wailing away. Ah! They're lost. They can be 12 feet and they're lost. They have no clue where they're at. That's why they need a shepherd. And I'll show you how dumb they are. We used to put, when they get ready to load them up to go shear them, we'd put a, on the loading ramp, would put a stick in there. And so they start jumping over the stick. We pull the stick out, they all jump. They were watching the sheep in front. They're that dumb. And I just Googled the other night, and I started questioning this, and I Googled in Turkey last year, and uh, there are a lot of sheep in this one area of Turkey. There's two farmers got charged, got a bill for $75,000. And they found out the reason is the two shepherds that were in charge of 1,500 sheep, they went in for a coffee break in town, left the flock alone. One sheep jumped off a cliff, and they all followed it. $75,000. That's what they do. The sheep in front did it. They do it. And the chances of any of us on our own ever making it to the flock, there's only one defense they have. It's called flock up. If they see a wolf coming, they're freaked. They don't have claws. They don't have teeth to bite. They don't have anything. So they flock up, and somebody on the outside is going to get it. It's just the way it is until the shepherd shows up. 
And that's why it says that he has a rod and a staff. The rod for correction, the staff for comfort. That's what a shepherd does. And a shepherd, if he has a a lead sheep that keeps getting away and leading everybody astray, he'll break its legs until it learns. And I am thankful for the time that the Savior has given me a broken leg. I'd be in a mess. But folks, we're cast sheep, and that's even worse. You know what a cast sheep is? A cast sheep without a shepherd is dead in 24 hours. Every once in a while, and we did this, and we didn't leave them that way because we knew they would die, but you can take a sheep when it has a lot of its wool on them, and you can take a sheep and turn it upside down where their four legs are up in the air, and 24 hours they're dead. In a hot day, they're dead. They wiggle around, they can't get up. They're that, they just can't do it. In a cold day, they'll last 48 hours. That's why a shepherd, they see a cast sheep upside down, a lot of pregnant Sheep will do that. They'll fall over and get upside down and a shepherd will immediately right side them up. And if they've been there for 10 hours, they won't be able to walk for a while. I don't know if it's a blood thing in their lap. I don't know. But the shepherd literally has to hold them up and get them to where they can walk again. We are cast sheep without him. We're dead. And the beauty of the story that he cared enough, he loved enough, and he searched long enough And for some reason, he chose us. We didn't find him. We're too dumb. He found us. Wow. I want to leave and consider a couple challenges, and this is not going to take that long. One of the challenges that I thought about, even for myself, if he's calling you today, and you're one of the sheep, don't hang up on him. Too often, I'm talking to believers, we're still sheep. He found us, he saved us, he brought us into the fold, he brought us through the door, but if you're a sheep here today, and you've been found, the shepherd still is calling you. He calls us every day. And too often, man hangs up on him. You hang up on him long enough, long enough, Long enough, then watch your life. You're going to be wondering, bah, bah, wondering what's wrong. Just don't hang up. Jonah hung up on him. And God used some things to bring him back. And sometimes we're like Zacchaeus. We need to be in that hurry up. He's up in a sycamore tree and Jesus looks up at him. Hurry up and get down here. I need to get to your house. And I think he speaks that way to us today. Get out of your tree, come down here, you're my sheep, I'm going to be in your house today. That would be a challenge I would have for all of us. Is the Lord wants to call us every day through his word. And if he calls us, don't hang up on him. Second thing to consider. Think of the power that's in your life as the 90 and 9. This is a 90 and 9 church. What do I mean by that? The Bible says in the text that Jesus went out to find a sheep. 
That means that he went. He's not there. That means the 99 is still here. That shows how much he trusts you, the 99. And as a flock together, we still hear his word through his word, but he's not in our presence. He's in us. And as much proportion as we yield to the spirit of God within us, that reveals the power of the 90 and 9 in this church. Don't want to spend any time in the word? That's your choice. But watch the power. The power of the 90 and 9 is in direct proportion as the spirit of God equips, enriches, empowers your life because of the time you spend listening to the shepherd's voice. I can make a choice right now to not read this Bible anymore. You wouldn't know it. First one to notice would probably be my, my wife, and then my children, and then those around me, and then those that I work with, and in time, they're going to know it. I become very smelly. Very smelly. And folks, we need one smell. We need a smell just like the shepherd. And he's always with the sheep. He's just like we are. And I had to think, what is the best way that we could make a promise or a challenge as sheep to stay in the word? And I wanted you to consider it this way. I'm going to ask a question. How's your song line going? You ever heard of an aborigine? That's an indigenous people down in Australia. And there's been something very interesting found out about uh, the aborigines. For 600 years, 600 years, men, scientists could not figure out how the aborigine could never get lost. Never. Australia is a big place. It's big as the United States just about. I've been there. And I went about 100 to 200 miles out in the outback. There's nothing there. It's a big, big continent. Then how do you take an aborigine, and you can take him in a helicopter, and you can drop him anywhere in Australia, that's not a city, and he can make it back to his home. No GPS, no map, no laser, no satellite, no cell phone, nothing. How does he make it back? And this used to confuse people until some scientists started studying the aborigine and they have what they call a song line. It's a dream take or a song line. And this is what it is. The leaders of the tribes, the fathers of each of the families, over the years they have transferred a song line to them. They sing it in a song. Every tree, every valley, every rock, every stream, every lake, every wadi, everything is in the song line. And as you sing the song line and you're walking out there in the outback and you see a big rock, you know then exactly where you're at. 
And it's a geographical thing that they put in the song line and they never, never get lost. And some of their song lines for certain provinces and then it changes like a chapter for another area. So dads and mothers, how's the song line going for your family? How often do you take the word of God and do you transfer truth to your children? Or are they clueless of anything in the word? Or grandfathers and grandmothers, what are you doing with your song line to your grandchildren? When do they come in your home and we all have fun, we all play games, we all do neat things, but what portion of that time is spent in the song line? I am so grateful that I had a grandfather and a father that taught me a song line. And now Heidi and I have the privilege as grandparents. Does that mean our children and grandchildren are perfect? No. But if they got the song line right, then they're perfectly forgiven. That's all I care about. And they're on their own and they're going and they're going. But what's the song line? And if they come into our home, how much time do we spend with them with the song line? Or is it all iPad? iPhone, iPods, you know what all that is. Oh my goodness. Do our children know the old, old story? There's only one way that we can continue the song line. And that is make a dedication each day that we take the word of God, not only into our own lives, but we make sure that we transfer that truth to those we know around us. I call it flocking up. We are living in a very, very tragic time. We are watching the country we live in slide away. It's not about right. It's not about left. It's about right and wrong. And we are living in a country now that has the moral values are gone. God's going out of everything. So what are we doing with the song line? It's going to get worse, folks, not better. My grandfather used to say, cheer up, it's going to get worse. And I say, hallelujah, that means he's coming closer, he's coming again. So what are you doing with the song line? Make sure every day, somehow, that you increase the song line in your heart, and when you have the opportunity, you take that same thing, to share with others. Jesus, the Bible says, came to seek and to save those which are lost. One of the burdens on hiding our hearts right now is our neighbors. <clears throat> Had one of them over last night. Really sad conversation. What are we doing with the song line with them? It's more than just inviting them to church. Somewhere there's got to be Things said, things done to steer them, to help them to see Jesus because it's all about him. Let's pray. Father, I think we had some more things to say, but I think I'm done, and I thank you for that. You, uh, you're really good at this. You know more what is needed than we do. So thank you for the game of hide and seek, but thank you even more so that you, the seeker, found us. And may we respond to that, each one of us here. May we respond that we can go out now 
and realize the most, two most important things that you came for is something that we can transfer. Transfer. You revealed your Father, and you came to seek and to save those which were lost. And Father, we admit we can't save anybody, but we can reveal you. And may we reveal you each day with the words that we take in your the Word of God, the Bible, into our hearts, that it might come out by way of comfort, by way of challenge, by way of encouragement, by way of, of life. Thank you for this church, Father. Bless Phil and everybody here. Bless the families here. Father, let them not be concerned about the numbers, but let them be concerned about you and the Word. And may you be lifted up in everything that is done in this place. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.